Section 68 of The World War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in May 2021. The World's Story, Volume 15. The World War. Edited by Horatio W. Dresser. Section 68. Flying in the War Zone by Theta. The writer of the following selection is an Englishman who entered the service of the Royal Flying Corps as soon as his extreme youth would permit. His training began with flights under careful supervision in England. Then, as an authorized pilot, he was transferred to the continent, in readiness for active service. The Editor I am here at last. Where that is, however, I can't tell you. We had a good journey. You would hardly believe we were on active service here, although we are, of course, within hearing of the big guns. There is a stream nearby where we can bathe. We have sleeping huts fitted with electric light, nice beds, a good mess, and a passable aerodrome. The fellows all seem nice, too. I have been up several times, but have not had a job yet. I have been learning the district and how to land and rise on cinder paths ten feet wide. A good landing is a bounce of about twenty feet into the air, and a diminuendo of bounces, like a grasshopper, until you pull up. Everyone here is cheerful and thinks flying is a gentleman's game, and infinitely better than the trenches. When your work is over for the day, there is no more anxiety until your next turn comes round, for you can read and sleep out of range of the enemy's guns. What a pity the whole war could not be conducted like that, both sides out of range of each other's guns all the time. On Thursday I went up with an officer observer on a patrol to look for Huns and gun flashes, etc. We could not see anything above 3,000 feet, so we came down to 2,500 feet and flew up and down the lines, well on this side, though, for a couple of hours. I thus got a splendid view of the trenches for miles, and it was awfully interesting to see the fields in some places behind our lines, originally green pasture land, now almost blotted out with shell holes and mine craters. This morning we were up at half past two o'clock. We got up eight thousand feet and waited the signal to proceed from our leading machine but the clouds below us completely blotted out the ground, so we were signalled to descend. When I had dived through the clouds at five thousand feet, I discovered to my surprise what appeared to be another layer of clouds down below, and no sign of the ground at all. I came lower and lower with my eyes glued on the altimeter, and still no sign of the ground. Finally I went through the clouds until I was very low, and then suddenly I saw a row of trees in front of me, pulled up, cleared them, and was lost in the fog or clouds again. I decided that that place was not good enough, and, not knowing where I was, I flew west by my compass for about a quarter of an hour, and came down very low again. This time we had more success, and could occasionally see patches of ground fairly well from about twice the height of a small tree. We cruised around until we spotted a field, and, after good examination of it, 
landed all right and found on inquiry to our great relief that we were in france the observer officer and i shook hands when we landed we returned later in the day when the weather cleared up i am not the only one who had a forced landing but we all came out all right i believe i have been putting off writing till i can tell how i like german archies anti-aircraft guns yesterday i was some miles across the line with my observer as an escort to another machine and was archied shells bursting all around and some directly under me while the machine wasn't riddled i don't know i was nearly ten thousand feet up too the archies burst leaving black puffs of smoke in the air so that the gunners could see the result those puffs were all over the sky talk about dodge banking both ways at once horrible what's more i had to stay over them dodging about until the other machine chose to come back or finish directing the shooting both w and j who came here with me got holes in their planes from archie the day before yesterday and w had a scrap with a fokker yesterday and got thirty holes through his plane about three feet from his seat the fokker approached to within twenty-five feet w had a mechanic with him and he fired a drum of ammunition at it and the fokker dived for the ground so the pilot was either wounded or well they don't know how the machine landed but are hoping to hear from the people in the trenches my latest adventure is that my engine suddenly stopped dead when i was a mile over the german lines my top tank patrol gauge was broken and was registering twelve gallons when it was really empty i dropped one thousand feet before i could pump up the petrol from the lower tank and was being archied too but i could have got back to our side easily even if the engine had refused to start though it would have been unpleasant to cross the lines at a low altitude i was flying at a quarter to three this morning i was orderly pilot and a hun was reported in the neighborhood i went to bed after two hours flying and was knocked up again all this before i had anything to eat or drink the hun i was chasing or rather looking for on my second patrol was brought down a few miles from our aerodrome by a french aviator the pilot and observer were killed neither my observer nor i saw anything at all of the fight as we were patrolling farther down the line the smash was brought to our place and taken away by the french the machine seemed essentially german very solid and thick weight no object i had another twenty minutes night flying a couple of nights ago and did a good landing it was almost pitch dark and there was a long row of clouds at two thousand feet which hid the moon we had flares out and a searchlight lighting up the track but from the moment you start moving you go out into inky darkness flying on seeing nothing till the altimeter tells you that you are high enough to turn then round and the twinkling lights of the aerodrome beneath higher and gradually as you become accustomed to the dark you pick out a roof here and a clump of trees there till finally the picture is complete at length you throttle down the engine and glide keeping a watchful eye on the altimeter aerodrome and airspeed indicator when about four hundred feet up you open out your engine again 
and fly in toward the aerodrome, stopping your engine just outside. Then you glide down and land alongside the flares. Today I went up to take photos and went over the lines four times, carefully sighting the required trenches and taking eighteen photos. I spent nearly two and a half hours in the air, and when I got back, I found the string that worked the shutter had broken after my third photo, and the rest had not come out. It was disappointing, because my last three journeys over the lines need not have been made, and incidentally it would have saved getting a hole through one of my planes. Well, I went up night-bombing yesterday. I went up after dinner, and as it was a bit misty I signalled down, bad mist. They signalled to me to come down, but as I didn't want any doubts on the subject I sloped off toward the lines. I soon lost sight of the flares and then became absolutely and completely lost. Everything was inky black and I could see only an occasional thing directly below me. My map board was in the way of my compass, so I pulled the map off, chucked the board over the side, and then flew east for about a quarter of an hour when I saw some lights fired. I crossed the lines about four thousand feet up and tried to find my objective, but it was no go. I went about four miles over and came down to two thousand feet with my engine throttled down, but could not even recognize what part I was over, owing to the mist. Then, to my surprise, the Huns loosed off some archies nowhere near me, so I expect they couldn't see me, but it looked ripping. They got a searchlight going and flashed it all round, passing always over the top of me. Then some more flares went up from the lines, and I could see the ground there beautifully, as clear as day, and some deep craters, but it did not show me sufficient to enable me to recognize what part of the lines I was over. Deciding it was hopeless, I set out for home, flying due west by my compass. It seemed ages before I picked up the aerodrome lights again, and I was afraid I might have drifted away sideways. But I spotted them all right, and just as I was nearing them, passed another of our machines about two hundred yards in the darkness. Then I signaled down and came in perched, with all my bombs on, of course. Yesterday G and I were doing a big shoot some four miles or so over the lines, and as it was a bit misty we went up to about six thousand feet and sat right over our target for about a quarter of an hour. There was a Hun patrol of three machines buzzing round that neighbourhood, and when they got within a few hundred yards I thought it was about time to draw G's attention to the matter. He sat up with a jerk, gave a quick glance round, never noticed them, and glued himself on his target again. All right, I said to myself, you'll wake up with a jump in a minute. To my surprise, two of the Huns took no notice of us and went on, while the third circled about very diffidently watching us. Once he passed right over about two hundred feet above us, and at that moment G looked up. You could see the black iron crosses painted on a background of silver on the wings, and that that G moved, and quickly too. I was busy watching the Hun, and did not feel a bit excited or nervous. I watched and waited, and then suddenly the Hun stuffed his nose down and swooped behind us, 
and we heard his machine-gun popping away like mad. I waited till he was about a hundred yards away, and then did a vertically banked about turn and went slap for him, and let him have about forty rounds at about seventy yards' range. G had his gun ready to fire when the Hun turned and made for home. We chased him just a short way for moral effort, and then went back to our target and on with the job, dropping bombs. We were awfully surprised when he didn't come back. I suppose we scared him or something. This little chat took place about seven thousand feet up, and five miles on their side of the lines. End of section 68